0: So, hey, we do want to welcome you here today, and we know there are people here today, that this is new for you, and to some degree, uh, church may even be a foreign idea to you, or this is a foreign place to you, but we'll do our best, and I hope we've, hopefully we've done our best to try to speak your language and understand, and help you understand what we're trying to communicate about loving God and loving, uh, understanding how much God loves us. In light of that, and this was totally impromptu, he didn't know I'm going to ask him. I'm going to ask uh, Vadim, will you come up here for a second? Vadim Morozov. Vadim, you might know him. Vadim, uh, you may not know him, but he's uh, from Russia. And Vadim's father is here, and Vadim's father doesn't speak English, but he's here in the service, so this is all foreign to him. Vadim, I want you to teach us how to say praise the Lord in Russian, and we're all going to say that. So, so tell, just say it, say it a couple times for us. How do you say praise the Lord? Well, there's various. various easiest ways. way, easiest way for us uh, kind of. Yeah. There we go. There's various ways to say it. Obviously, it just depends on obviously how crazy you want to praise the Lord. The easiest and the craziest. Uh, okay. Give us that one. Gasport, which would be obviously Lord. Gasport. Gasport. Yeah, Lord. Gasport. 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 Yeah, yeah, TBA, TBA, Malus. Malus. Yeah, say it, yeah. go through it one more time. Gasport, yeah, yeah, TBA, TBA, Malus. Now say it all together. Gasport, Ya. TBA, Malus. Okay, a couple times. Ready to go. Gasport, yeah, T B Malus. Tibie one more time. Gasport, TBA, malus. malus. All right. Will that work? Yeah. That'll work. That'll work. Uh Say, say, uh, T- tell your dad that we say he's welcome here this morning. And in Russian, we won't understand. <laughs> <do>. thank you получается <laughs> you So if this is your first time here, you won't have it as difficult as he'll have understand what's going on. But again, we, we, wanna make, we, want, we really uh, work hard to try to help people understand in really practical, ordinary language um, what the Bible's all about. Not just what the Bible's all about, but what Jesus is all about and what following him is all about. So whether you're new to Exodus, you've been here 50,000 times, or you're new to church altogether. Um, Jesus is incredibly practical, relevant, powerful, and he speaks your language in ways you don't even understand. All right, that's the main thing we want you to know as we start off this morning. So let me pray, and we're going to look into God's word. God, um, we we look forward to the day when every tribe, language, people, everybody will praise you. We don't know what language we'll use then, if we'll use our own languages or what, but we know that we'll uh, feel all one before you, and uh, it will all be deserved by you, because uh, you're the only one worthy of us giving ourselves to. So we pray this morning that you would give us ears to hear what your Holy Spirit, who we believe is here and present, is saying to us today, and then give us the courage and the grace and the power to change and do the things that will help us become the kind of people you designed us to be full of life full of your life full of your joy full of your love energy forgiveness patience and kindness and we ask this all in the name of Jesus amen hey here's the uh, phrase for the morning here the phrase is transcendent moments all right let me the the word transcendent some of you may not know it or maybe you've heard it and If you're like me, you hear it and you're not quite sure what it means, but transcendent has this sense of kind of otherworldly, you know, bigger than what you would normally experience, kind of a feeling that you're part of something larger, all right? Um, I used this example last week, but it's a really good example. The Christian Watford shot against Kentucky was a transcendent moment if you live north of the Ohio River, all right? If you're an Indiana fan, there was something. If you if you watched the game or anything of it, there was something that you probably felt something in your body—goosebumps, energy, whatever it was. But for those moments, if you were a Hoosier fan, you felt immortal. I mean, really. You know what I'm saying? I'm being a little bit exaggerated, but you know what I'm saying. There's something that felt kind of, wow. Well, I'm, I'm part of something big. Or another transcendent moment. Um, how many watched? If, if you watched or watched the replay of the Olympic ceremony, opening ceremony, and uh, Paul McCartney, right, was leading uh, the last song of the opening ceremony. Does anybody remember it? Hey Jude, and the whole place. I mean, the whole world is singing together. World peace. I mean, we're all singing Hey Jude together. The Beatles as the as the 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 thing, the group, the the idea that has drawn us all together for some fleeting moment. And you could see people swaying with their cell phones. And and it was one of these transcendent kind of moments. And I don't care whether you voted for or against him. President Obama's uh, rally the night of the election four years ago when he won in Chicago. I don't care whether you're for or against him, but it was a transcendent moment. There was a sense of energy that seemed bigger than human, All right? It's those moments in our life where we, we, we have a sense that something more is going on, or we hope for something more that's going on, or we feel something more that we wish we could capture it, put it in a jar, and take it out whenever we feel discouraged or depressed. And without being overly uh, crude, I suppose I'll say for most of our culture today, the transcendent moments we seek after often have to do with sex. Because let's be honest, there's incredible transcendent feeling in sexual expression. So whether it's that, whether it's athletics, whether it's music, whether it's political victories, this transcendent feeling we have ought to tell us something about how we are made. And there's those, those kind of feelings. And you know what I'm talking about? You wish you could live your whole life in that kind of feeling, that kind of energy, when the world all feels right and you also feel like almost otherworldly. And maybe that's because we are. So it's not, I'm not, it's not wrong to be all for those things. It's not wrong that you felt excited by watching Christian Watford make a shot. It's not wrong if you sang along with Paul McCartney and Hey Jude. It's not wrong if you enjoy sex. It's not wrong if you voted for or against Obama but felt a little bit of goosebumps when they had that on TV four years ago. It's not wrong. Now, it's wrong to think those are the endpoints of joy. It's wrong to think that is what we're seeking in life. We've got to create these transcendent moments. And then what, when, I remember a few years ago, IU won a football game against uh, Iowa. Sorry. I, I didn't mean that as a joke. I didn't mean it that way. I was trying to. And the next day in the paper, they talked about everybody. In, and that same weekend, IU had won a preseason basketball game. It said everybody in Bloomington was burging, B-I-R-G, basking in reflected glory. So when something we associate with has a glorious kind of outcome, we kind of start basking in it. And that's some of the transcendence too. We feel like we're part of this transcendent reality that, wow, we had a big win and a big win here, and we're burging. And it's a physiological, mental, emotional, spiritual, intellectual response. Because we're made to feel, we are made to understand there's something more than just me. If, 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 if I'm just part of me and there's no bigger reality that defines me, we easily kind of spiral into depression. Now, like I said, I, we're, I, we're made for those kind of trends. God made us with some kind of sense for something bigger, something for otherworldly. And we're going to look at a passage today from uh, the book of 2 Chronicles, Old Testament book. 2 uh, Chronicles, go to the next slide there. 2 Chronicles takes place about 1,000 B.C., about 3,000 years ago. And what we're going to look at today is a couple of transcendent moments. There are many in the Bible. If you read them and read them as if you were there, it would top any of the transcendent moments I would have talked about already. But we're going to read the passage, look at the story, and try to figure Hey, what does that tell us about us and God, and how do we respond to that? What do we do with that? All right. Here's what's happening. No, go, no, go back again. Let me get back to my map. There, I love Google Maps, by the way, but I kind of overdo it. But that's okay. Okay, 1000 BC. Second Chronicles is somewhere in the Old Testament, about right there. So, it, the Chronicles is an account of the different kings of Israel, uh, starting with David, his son Solomon. And then the kingdom gets split because of civil war. And there's all kinds of kings on both sides from then on out. But we're focused today on Solomon. Solomon was David's son. David was the one who brought the unity of the Israel and brought it to their glory years. David wanted to build a temple for God. God said, no, you're not going to build it. Your son is, Solomon. Solomon is known in the Bible as the, most wise, the wisest man that ever lived. Um, God gave him that, uh, that gift and that ability. So Solomon then built the temple. For God in Jerusalem, because that's the way that God, God was telling them he wanted to be worshiped by a temple that honored his name. So they spent tons and tons of money. I mean, lots of gold and stuff went into this, the temple. And the temple was 90 feet wide, 90 feet long, 30 feet wide. So, you know, not much, I'm not sure of the measurements of this place, but the temple wasn't all that big, but it was an incredibly ornate building, and a lot of precise engineering and artistry went into it, a lot of gold. And then there was part of the temple that was called the most holy place. It was like behind a curtain, and behind that they placed what was called the Ark of the Covenant. And I don't think Noah's Ark is like a boat. Think like this golden chest. If you've seen Indiana Jones, you know what I'm talking about. We don't know exactly what it looked like, but this golden chest had like angels' image on the top on of it, with these four poles sticking out, and inside the chest would be like part of the the stone that Moses had the Ten Commandments on, and other things that were in there that were icons representing the glory of God in the people's lives. So if you were here last week, the the ark had been stolen or captured by the Philistines. It ended up somewhere. The Philistines were the bad guys. All right, they were the bad guys, kind of like Kentucky and Indiana. But anyway, Philistines were bad guys. They had the chest. Uh, Somehow, then eventually it makes its way back to Israel. David, last week you remember David moves it and he's worshiping. That's when David is dancing with all his might before the Lord. You know, a very manly thing to do in those days, but we don't see it that way, but that was last week's sermon. Solomon builds the temple and now the ark is moved in to the temple. Alright? Everybody, it's, it's a start of a week-long religious celebration in Israel called the Festival of Shelters. So, Everybody in the Jewish world was expected to come back to Jerusalem. So this place is packed with people for this big celebration. And it happened to coincide with the fact the temple was done and they moved this Ark of the Covenant into the building. Now, I want you to actually just close your eyes. I'm going to read what happens. And I want you to do your best to imagine yourself there um, and imagine what's going on. All right. So let me start first from this is First Corinthians five. But again, just kind of s- try to see with your mind's eye uh, what I'm talking about. Okay, the, let me give you a little context. Keep your eyes closed. There's all kinds of music and loud music and trumpets and all kinds of things going on. The trumpeters and the singers perform together in unison to praise and give thanks to the Lord, because okay, the ark had finally come to its resting place. Accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, they raised their voices and praised the Lord with these words. He is good. His faithful love endures forever. At that moment, a thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord. The priests could not continue their service because of the cloud. For the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. All right, now open your eyes. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there? I mean, it's this big ceremony, and maybe you're thinking, okay, this is another ceremony we do this every year, come to the festival of temples. This year, the Ark of the Covenant is put back there. The priests with loud noise and music give thanks to the Lord, He's good, His love endures forever. At that moment of their singing, like this cloud descends. Like this is not imagination that people saw this. Like something's invading the visible world. And people are like, whoa. One of the things we say here at o- X- often in Exodus is we believe the invisible world is just as real as the visible one. And these transcendent, generally transcendent moments in Scripture is when one, the invisible world, invades the visible. In something that is, appears to be irrational and supernatural is actually real. All right, now go to the next slide. So they, this happens. So this cloud comes over the temple. Or right, we're not done yet because God wasn't done with creating these moments here. Then Solomon prays, and it's a long prayer. I'm not going to read the whole thing because Solomon prayed long. He actually was down on his knees with his hands up in front of God, in front of the people. And the whole time he was telling God, God, We've, we've got you, we have the ark, it's in the, you, you finally found your resting place, you're going to live with us. And the whole part of his, the whole entreaty of his prayer was, God, would you just hear us when we call out to you? When we, when we sin, when we do dumb things and stupid things and selfish things and fearful things, when we finally come to our senses and we cry out to you, will you hear us? Will you bring us back to wholeness and life, and you could, you could, you could, you can feel if you read the passage, Second Chronicle six, that Psalm is with great intensity. God, would you just hear us? Would you give us? I think somebody said when we were praying, what God is good at. Somebody said the God of second chances. Moses or Solomon is saying, just give us another chance if we turn our, if we turn from, from those those sins and that stupidity and that pride. And if we do this, if we cry out to you, will you hear us? If we do this again, will you cry out? Can we can cry out. Will you hear us? Oh, hear us, God. Hear us. Be with us. And, and there's this intensity to his prayer. And then go to the next slide. Then it says, when Solomon finished praying, fire flashed down from heaven. And burned up the burnt offerings and the sacrifices. And the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. Again, this, ha- this, is, this happened. And this is one of those moments where I'm sure those people from their di- to their dying day remembered being in the crowd, like, what was that? Like, what? And and there was a sense that the presence of the Lord filled the place, and they said that. Uh, the priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glorious presence of the Lord filled. It they weren't just religious, like, oh, okay, that's uh, the presence of the Lord filled. We should not go in the temple. No, they knew they shouldn't go in there. They felt something like, whoa, something is holy there. They weren't following some religious prescription. All right, next slide. When all the people of Israel saw the fire coming down and the glorious presence of the Lord filling the temple, they fell face down on the ground and worshiped. I mean, again, it wasn't like, okay, fire fills the temple. Oh, we should go down here and fall. No, it was a response of boom, and they're just like this. Because it's, it's, it's amazing what's happening. And they worshiped and praise the Lord, saying, this is the same song the priest sang earlier in that day, he is good, his faithful love endures forever. He's good. He's faithful, loving. And this was a spontaneous. There wasn't like a script. They didn't have PowerPoint slides made up for this. They didn't know what was going to be happening. But the people were overwhelmed with the fact that God was physically, reality was saying to them, I am with you. Go on. The, The chapter finishes by saying the king, Solomon, all the people Offered sacrifice to the Lord in response to all this They said they offered so many sacrificial animals They couldn't even count them anymore In the thousands And then it said the next seven days Which was a typical time of celebration Of this festival But of course it was heightened because of the temple being finished All of Israel celebrated the festival of shelters In this last verse Is one that kind of really kind of sticks with me They were all joyful and glad Because the Lord had been so good It wasn't They weren't just giddy they weren't just, well, that was a really good holiday season. There was joy and gladness. And I think a number of people when we were praying, you know, that God is good, a number of people prayed, God, you're, good in, uh, you're great in joy. And even this morning, I know when the prayer team was praying, the concept of joy kept coming up. Who among us would do anything short of killing somebody to have a little more joy in our lives? In other words, we could all use a little more joy. We could all use a lot more joy. I mean joy. I don't mean religious giddiness. I don't mean plastic happiness. Oh, God is good. You know, I lost my car, lost my bank account, but God is good. Not that. You know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about this fullness of joy inside of you that no matter what happens in life, you are absolutely convinced in living out of the goodness and the faithful love of God doesn't mean you're smiling all the time. doesn't mean you're frowning all the time either. But there's something going on here, and there's something that happens. And you'll notice in the passage we just read, when the priests were singing, at that moment, the cloud fell. When Moses got done praying, at that moment, the fire came down. So let's talk about, go to the next slide. Let's talk about the whole concept of worship, okay? Let's, let's back off here for a second and see what's going on. Okay. The priests sing... Uh, Give thanks to the Lord for his good. His love endures forever, however they sang it. Okay, you're there. You hear that. You hear the notes. You hear what's being sung. You hear the trumpets. This big cloud drops down. And if you know much of the Bible story, it's similar to the cloud when Moses was leading the children out of the wilderness and this cloud that gave them direction, the cloud that hung over the portable tabernacle Moses built. So at this moment, what is going on between the invisible and the visible world? I mean, was it cause and effect? The priest sang, therefore God did something? I mean, when we sing like worship songs... I thought it just kind of occupied the visible world and just kind of bounced off the walls and you may hear the person next to you singing on or off key and, and it's really good and it makes you feel emotional. But is that all that's happening? Or is what we do here when we sing have some effect to this other part of the world that we can't see the invisible world? And I think this passage and many others in, the, in Scripture would, just, would attest to, yes, yeah, something else goes on in the invisible world. Because the question often people say, well, why do we sing? I mentioned last week I had a friend of mine that didn't think singing in church was even necessary. He didn't think singing was necessary. He didn't think that kind of worship was necessary. You know, all we need to do is study the Bible, study the Bible, study the Bible. But it seems like when God's people worship, or when you even worship in your car, worship in your home, something happens in two worlds, right? Right? Here's the statement of the morning. This is the only main point of the morning. Worship welcomes God. Because when you worship, it's in essence you're putting a red carpet out for the spirit of God. You're open to his work in your life. So when these priests were singing, his love endures forever, there was something. And, of course, that was preceded by a lot of obedience, a lot of sacrifice, a lot of hunger for God. So it's not like a formula where if I just do the right things, God's going to do something. But it's preceded by a right kind of heart and even the prayer of Solomon, God, just listen to us. You know, we want to be open and humble and receptive to you. It's that kind of a heart that when you begin to sing and give, and give praise to God, something begins to happen in the invisible world. I would even say that the minute we began to sing this morning, I can't remember what the first song was, Blessed Be the Name of the Lord. The minute we began to sing, the activity in the the invisible world increased. The invisible world chatter starts to increase. Something's going on. And you might be like, well, I don't know, that's kind of far-fetched. And and in my most human moments, I think, yeah, that's not kind of far-fetched. I mean, I just heard people sing it. I didn't see any activity going on in the invisible world. But I believe it does. There's a psalm, Psalm 22, 3, where the psalmist says to God, You are enthroned on the praises of your people. And the idea of that word in the original language is that that you sit down on the praises of your people. You take your place on the throne. And it indicates that when we begin, when we worship, whether it's in song or in prayer or in our activities during the day, when we offer ourselves to God, God gets his rightful place in our lives and things become ordered in the way that he would want them to be ordered to bring us life, joy, peace, and goodness. So there seems to be an impact of when we do this, something starts to move over here. A couple examples. My wife and I, if you know, uh, we had, and, and kids, had a sabbatical time away. So we were away for four months up until a few weeks ago. There was one particular day where... Uh, my wife and I had a conflict about something. Not unusual, but, you know, it's conflict. And I went for a walk that morning, and I was kind of in a sour mood. And if you're married and you've had conflict, or if you're single and you've had conflict with anybody in your relation in your life, you know what I'm talking about. And I just kind of in a sour mood, and life's not good, and my wife doesn't love me, and I don't know if i you know that kind of stuff. And I, and I clearly had a sense from God, kind of coming out of this idea kind of like a, it wasn't, a, wasn't an audible thought. It wasn't even that strong of an impression, but this, this kind of sense of, I want you to worship. And I was walking, granted, I was on the, along the Pacific Ocean, so it's easier to kind of worship there as opposed to, you know, Bloomington or Martinsville or whatever, but you know what I'm saying. And I actually started singing really softly, and I put some, you know, listened to some songs that were on my iPhone, some worship songs, and I said, okay, I really don't feel like it, God. I really, not really into that right now. I'm kind of feeling kind of sour. But it's like, you know, but I'll, and, and now please hear me. The minute I started to sing, my wife doesn't come running to me. (laughs) You know, you know, you know, slow motion done. No, 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 no. But something started changing in my heart. Something started softening in my heart. Another situation, I was driving to, to meet another uh, a church leader. This was a guy in Fort Wayne, nobody knows here, but it was a church leader I needed to meet with about something that was somewhat intense about money issues and other stuff like that. And I was feeling kind of anxious. And I was driving between here and Fort Wayne, somewhere on I-69. And I just had the sense that I had a, I can't remember what CD I had in my car player. It was a worship CD. And I started in my mind's eye singing over the meeting. I could picture myself and this other person in some room at a table. I wasn't expecting tension, but I thought it was very possible it could get tense. And I was anxious about the possibility of tension. And I just started singing. And I was like, God, I I don't know why, but I feel like you want me to sing over this conversation I'm about to have. And I'm going to sing over it now, knowing that, God, you transcend time and all that stuff. I'm going to sing over this. And the meeting went really well. Now, if I wouldn't have sung, it would have not gone well. I don't know. I don't know and it wasn't just singing I felt like what was happening was, was God was positioning my heart to be receptive because when I sing and, and let God and, and, and acknowledge God in worship and God becomes enthroned then I'm able to hear more clearly in the midst of a conversation that could be tense I'm able to kind of see my heart more clearly and soften it when it's been hard you know the In the New Testament, when Pentecost, the Pentecost day happened again. If you don't know much of the Bible story, that's okay. But let me tell you, a bunch of after Jesus' death and his after his resurrection, he went up into heaven. These people were, you know, a number of them were kind of in this room, on this religious holiday, not sure what to do next. But we know they were in this room. We know they were engaging in the religious activity of the holiday, which included prayer. And then it said that the Holy Spirit came upon them in this incredible transcendent moment. And it said what appeared like tongues of fire were on these people's foreheads. And, and people saw that. It wasn't just somebody's imagination. Other people saw that. And again, over and over, there's times in the book of Acts where people are praying and it said the room Shook. There's another time where Paul and Silas, two leaders in the early church, had been imprisoned because they didn't, the people of the town didn't like the fact they were teaching about Jesus. They were imprisoned. They had been beaten with rods. All right. We tend to skip those over. I do at least. When I read the book of Acts, I tend to skip over the beating passages. They had been beaten with rods, then put in prison in shackles, and those prisons were like, you know, dirty horrible places and it says they started to sing and what happened earthquake coincidence I don't know but with the moment you begin to sing activity increases the invisible world something starts to go on because the Bible tells us that Satan does not like the praises of God's people The voice of Satan becomes silent because you're acknowledging the right order of things that God is the good and merciful and all-loving God. So, what do you do with that? What do I do with that? Should we just sing all the time now? You know, you're in class, getting ready to take a test and you start blurting out how great is our God. You know, do you do that? You know, right in the middle of a conflict with your husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, son, daughter, mother, father, you just start singing, you know, then sings my soul, and they're going to look at you like, shut up. No, unless God distinctly tells you to do that, then do that and then deal with the consequences. But no. But what does it mean to be a person of worship? Because if we believe that worship is more than just singing, Worship engages and catalyzes God's activity in the invisible world. So when we as a congregation start singing, when the people at Sherwood Oaks this morning started singing, or ECC, or St. Paul's Catholic, or Red Door Church, or Reformed Presbyterian Church, or Genesis Church, when people in those churches started singing this morning, something in the invisible world begins to be stirred in their lives and in the lives of people in Bloomington. And like I said earlier, you are the choir. It's not a matter of okay, Brad and the band played really good this morning, therefore God's going to start doing things. They're just leading us. But when God's people, and in this case, even in the in the, in the passage we just read, the people started singing, "God is good. you're good, your love endures forever. You're good, your love endures forever." They acknowledge who God is, and when they acknowledge the right place of God and our right, right place. God begins to work and act. And again, I'm not trying to make worships like a magical formula. It's not a thing you do. when you, Because again, it, we, the passage is full of, as there's other places in the Bible has happens, these people's lives had been marked by obedience and sacrifice and purity. So if you're not... If if you would say your life isn't marked by obedience and sacrifice and purity, and you just try the kind of worship the worship thing and see if you can get God to cooperate for what you want, that's not how it works. It's a life that's fully committed to God, as much as you know of yourself, where sacrifice and openness to God and purity in your life. In this passage we just read, it said, before they started to sing. All the priests purified themselves. Even the ones that weren't on duty for that day. And the purification was kind of this whole re- regiment that included even purifying, avoiding sexual activity, all kinds of stuff. But it was like not even the ones who were on duty. Everybody understood. They needed to purify themselves. They needed to kind of set apart because they knew God was about to do something. I love I loved watching Watford hit that shot. I love watching it on YouTube still. I enjoyed watching the opening ceremonies of the Olympics. I enjoy watching the national anthem being played when somebody from the U.S. wins a gold medal. And, and the transcendent feelings I have. But if you're like me, you know that's not what you were made for Ultimately. Those are a shadow of something God has for us. I'm not saying we should all sing harder and see if fire comes down and burns through the boys' club ceiling and, you know, then we have to go pay their expenses or whatever, which I would do that if that happened. But I long for, and I think all of you do too, an encounter and experience with God that you know is more than rational. You know the more is physical. I mean, I have books at home. I've spent them all this week of individuals' lives, whether it's Blaise Pascal, a French scientist in the 16th century who had this incredible four-hour intimate experience with God in a very supernatural encounter. Whether it's him or great men or women from the last. I have books full of these experiences, and I read them, and I'm thinking, okay, God, should I be hungering for some kind of greater encounter with you? Should I be hungering for a transcendent encounter with you? And some of you might think, wait a minute, it's not about experience. You know, it's just about believing the right things. And I say, yeah, it is about believing the right things. But God is a being who's meant to be experienced. If all I said was, when I got married to my wife was, hey, we know we're married, let's just leave it at that. And there's no experiential love. It's not a relationship. It's a legal contract is all it is. But God is meant to be experienced. His spirit is meant to be experienced in your life and my life. And there ought to be times where our emotional and cognitive and absolute complete being are engaged in a sense of connecting with God. Now, if you haven't had those moments or they don't happen every week, which they don't, that's okay. But hunger for those moments. If if I say anything, if you hear me anything this week, hunger for those moments because that's what you're made to be about. And when you, when you place your hand over the heart in the national anthem and you kind of get the goosebumps, don't condemn your goosebumps. Oh, don't feel that way. This is not God. No, let that be a small shadow of, I think this tells me that God has made me for a greater sense of large connection. And when you watch the Watford video or hopefully there'll be some new highlights this year, don't say, well, I shouldn't be, you know, I should be worshiping God and not really clapping for Cody Zeller right now. No, clap for Cody Zeller. Scream, yell. But let that be a shadow of what God really wants to release in you. Maybe this world, maybe the next world, but you're made to be a fully released, fully alive, fully full of joy kind of individual. So don't shun those moments, but don't just keep those moments packaged in that moment. Let them be a pointer, a signpost. To how you were made. And then when, you take in, when you're engaging yourself in worship or in studying the Bible or when God's challenged you to kind of leave a, uh, a, a pattern of, of behavior behind into greater obedience, let that be preparation for the intimacy that God wants to experience with you. Worship welcomes God. So when we sing, uh, we open up ourselves to God. That's the kind of people we want to be. That's the kind of choir we want to be. And we want to be open to whatever God wants to do in our lives. Let me pray. God, we, uh, we want to know you. But many of us are tired of knowing you only cognitively. And we want to know you as a friend knows a friend. as a a child knows a father. And so, God, there are people here today who um, maybe have given up on that and maybe they're here out of religious duty or maybe they shun that or or scorn that because it hasn't happened to them. But God, would you stir in every one of us a hunger um, to experience you because we know we're made for that. And we're tired of living religious lives that lack power and intimacy and freedom and joy and peace and kindness. That's the kind of people we want to be. And God, we will let you do whatever you want to do in our lives to set us free to become those kind of people. Can you put that last slide up there I had?